Good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. It's, uh, it's wet and outside, but it's dry and warm inside, and we're just delighted to have you here. Hey, uh, last week I was just talking about some very practical things uh, about life. We talked about what we do at work and just some very practical ways to go about work. And today I want to just bring something else a little more practical this morning for you. I want to talk about the seven things that everybody's looking for. The seven things that everybody is looking for. Right? And I'm not talking about online, although that may happen online. I'm not talking about what you can buy. Uh, but in our hearts. What's in our hearts? Something that uh, we're all looking for. Now, parents, this could be a parenting class for you. Right? Because your children are looking for these seven things. Uh, those of you who are married... This could apply in your marriage because your husband or your wife, they're looking for these things as well. This can apply in the workplace because the people you run into are going to have these same seven needs that everybody's trying to, to have filled in their life. And I want to use the story of John, uh, the story of uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Uh, John chapter 4 verse 1 is where we'll start. And not so much centered on this story, but the but her heart is here, and we can see that she's looking for something, and I want to use that to talk about these seven things. So John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Sounds like a Southern Baptist Convention meeting. <laughs> if you've ever been to one, you walk up and you introduce yourself to the next pastor. He says, how many did you have Sunday? That's the first thing out of your mouth. How many did you baptize Sunday? It's just kind of what goes on at conventions. I'm sure it does at Methodist and Presbyterian and other places. And so they were comparing numbers here. You're baptizing more than me. And anyway, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Jesus didn't baptize anybody. His disciples did all the baptizing. And when the Lord, Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, Judea and Galilee are two ends of Palestine, the two ends of Israel, we would say today. And uh, the area in between them was Samaria. And so you had Judea, uh, and then you had Samaria, and then you had Galilee. And to get to one or the other, you had to go to Samaria. And the problem with Samaria was uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Okay? Uh, 400 years before this time, 400 approximately 50 years before this time, Israel had been taken into captivity. And some of the people who were taken out, when a conquering nation overcame you, they took some of your people and took them to their country, and they took some of their people and brought them to your country. So they mixed and mingled all the, uh, the countries there together. And what happened was the Jewish people in Samaria married uh, the people who had been brought in from Babylon and other places, which was a no-no in Jewish life. You, you never married outside the Jewish faith. It was just, it was bad. It was, you just didn't do that. But the Samaritans did. And so from that point on, all the people that lived in Judea and all the people lived in Galilee, Jewish people, hated the people in between in Samaria. But neither one of them could go from one area to the other without going through Samaria unless they went the long way around, which meant crossing over the Jordan River going up this side of the Jordan and then crossing back over, which would take them several days longer. And so there was a problem going through Samaria. They hated them. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Now, we had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given his son Joseph. 
Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, tired as he was from the journey, tired as he was from the journey, tired as he was from the journey. Have you ever been tired of the journey? Oh, come on there, be honest. Can I get a witness? <clears throat> We're all on a journey. Right? Some of us going in more directions than others. Some of us going in directions we don't need to go in, right? But we're all on this journey. Even Jesus got tired of the journey. And I, you know, sometimes I get tired of the journey too. So I just want to go move to an island, preferably Hawaii, <laughs> where you can get shaved, where you can get real Hawaiian shaved ice cones. They're they're fabulous. But Jesus was tired from the journey, and he sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour, that is, it was noon, okay, lunchtime. Now, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. Now, check this out. This woman had come from her town to the well, uh, which was over half a mile. She had a well in her own town. Why, why, did, she, why did she walk a half a mile? This well. this well was approximately 100 feet deep. The well where she was was not that deep. Well, we'll find out in a minute, maybe. The Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So here Jesus is, a rabbi back in the day, which is what Jesus was. He would never talk to a woman in public. As a matter of fact, a good Jewish rabbi wouldn't even talk to his wife or his daughter in public. He would never, never talk to a woman in public. And so here Jesus is a rabbi, prophet, talking to a woman in public. Not just any woman. He was talking to a Samaritan woman. Remember I said earlier that Jews hated the Samaritans. So he was talking to this woman that Jews are supposed to hate. And so she's a little confused as to what the conversation is about. Why would he even talk to me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now what's the difference in living water and, and not living water? what Jesus <laughs> that's good it's always the right answer okay. back in the day if you had water that would be water in the well if you had living water that would be water flowing from a stream which implied it was cleaner right that was the implication that it was fresh it was life-giving flowing water was life-giving water down in the well was not life-giving and so Jesus was saying I can offer you living water I can offer you water that flows from a stream all the time and the Samaritan woman was like, well, that will be above ground. I don't have to dip something down into it, get it, because of well. And that's what she was thinking. It will be easy to access. Yes, I'll take that water. We like the water that came out of the rock. You know, when Moses struck the rock and water came out, right? Or he taught the rock and water came out. She said, I'll take some of that. I'll take that living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw from the well, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water from this well, again, but whoever will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, we find out later in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the well of water that springs up within us is the Holy Spirit. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water out of this well. 
at lunchtime. He said, well, go call your husband and then come back. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's changing the subject. Jesus has hit a nerve. He's, he's hit a nerve. He's hit what she's really after. The, and I'm going to talk about these seven things that perhaps she was after, the seven things that we're all after. He hit the nerve, and so she changes the conversation. You know, I've done a lot of pastoral counseling in, in my days, and, and what I've discovered is the first three visits, you don't really hear what the person's real issue is. And, but about that fourth visit, they'll start to tell you what their real heart is. They want to see if they can trust you with their life, what they're sharing with you. And so she's shifting gears here, and that's what people do in a counseling session. They'll just shift gears. Well, it's all his fault. That's all her fault. It's all the Jews' fault. She started blaming. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, there's a time coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Very powerful statement. What that's saying is each one of us has the right, the opportunity to come before God and worship him, no matter where we are. It doesn't have to be in a special building. It doesn't have to be in this building. It doesn't have to be in that building over there. We can worship God wherever we are. The question is, are we worshiping God wherever we are? That's the real question for most of us, right? The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So here's the seven things I think that everybody's looking for. The, the, the cry that we all have in our heart. And the first one, and you might want to write these down. And they're the ABC, so it's A, B, C, D, E, F. You know I like doing that, right? I do that so David can remember, right? The first one is acceptance. Acceptance. The cry for acceptance. Um, there's something within all of us that wants to be accepted. And that begins at a very, very early age. Uh, the baby. You know, that's three months old or four months old and just learning to look and smile and grin. And when you smile at them and then they smile back, they, there's some acceptance. They, they feel accepted. And then it grows and they're, they're six or seven years old and they start going to school, right? And they want to be accepted by their peers at school. And, you know, first grade can be brutal, right? Right? Uh, kids can disown other kids and say things that are harmful. And then they progress along and they get to be a teenager. And oh my word, middle school is brutal, right? Middle school is brutal. It's not high school brutal? Not so much, okay. Middle school is brutal. I was a substitute teacher for a while and did some middle school substitute teaching. Let me tell you, it's brutal. Right? And that was just on me. I can't imagine what it was like for the rest of them. Right? <laughs> just brutal. Hormones are changing. Things are going crazy. But it's a cry, there's a cry for acceptance. We all want to be accepted. So we want to wear the cool shoes or the, 
the cool clothes or you know, whatever the cool thing is. We, we all want it. You, know, you walk in with an iPhone you know, 6 and, you, and the person besides you got an iPhone 7 and all of a sudden there's a problem. You, know, you don't have the acceptance because you're not in the group, right? Acceptance. We, we're all looking for acceptance. This woman was looking for acceptance. We don't know why she had five husbands and, and why the sixth man that she was with was not her husband. We don't know that story. But somewhere deep inside of her, I would guess that she missed out on something growing up. Maybe she didn't have a dad in the home that was present for her, or mom wasn't present for her. We don't really know. What we do know is there was a cry for acceptance. And here's what statistics prove over and over and over again. When, when daughters don't have daddies in their lives, that cry for acceptance can lead them down the wrong path. When sons don't have a father in their life, we can find that that cry for acceptance leads them down the wrong path. And they'll look for acceptance from their peers who don't have their brain yet. You know, teenagers don't have a brain yet. Teenage boys in particular. It's called frontal cranial development. It starts to take place around 25. <laughs> for some men, it's more like 45. Amen? Yeah. For some, 65. Right. That's why insurance, that's why car insurance is sky high for a boy, a man. Before we get to age 25, and after 25, it gets cut in half or whatever it is nowadays. Frontal cranial development. We're looking for acceptance. That's why gangs are, are so prevalent and so powerful is because a gang will accept you in. If you'll, if you'll jump through my hoops, we'll accept you in. You'll be one of us. You can get the same tattoo we have. You can wear the same clothes we have. That's why gangs are so powerful. People are looking for acceptance. And here's the thing. Your child is looking for acceptance. Moms, dads. Your child is looking for acceptance. To accept them just like they are. There, there has to be a time where we call them into more. But there has to be a time when we accept them for just who they are. And let them know that. Look them square in the eye and say, I like you. I like you. Wesley, I like you. Look them square in the eye and say that. Joshua, I like you. Let them know that you like them just like they are. That doesn't mean you don't challenge them to be more because that's part of parenting. Acceptance. It's a powerful tool. When you go to work, you need to know that everybody you see at work has this cry for acceptance. Just know that when you walk in. This woman had a cry for acceptance. Secondly, there's a cry for balance. Balance. It's a cry for balance in our lives. This, this woman was tired. Jesus was tired. The disciples were tired, right? I find it interesting that the disciples went into town to buy food from Samaritans. Remember, Jews would never talk to Samaritans, so they actually had to go talk to Samaritans and buy food for them. Guess what? Jesus had rubbed off on them. Jesus had rubbed off on them. Jesus had rubbed the Pharisee out of them to where they realized, okay, I can go talk to Samaritans. Okay, they're just human beings. Let's go talk to them. So, in this story, everybody's tired, and it's noon, it's hot, the sun is beating down, it's 100 degrees. They need to balance in their life, and, and we need balance in our lives too. You know, I, I know some parents want their child to be involved in everything, and so every night of the week, they've got them going to something. You, know, you name it, they go to something every night of the week, and every afternoon, just cram, cram, cram. There's no balance, that's not, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for human beings not to have some quiet time, some downtime, just to reflect and think, sleep, take a nap. If your teenager eats some potato chips, 
We need balance. This woman needed balance in her life. Jesus needed some balance in his life. He was tired. You need balance in your life. That's why God created the what? The Sabbath, right? He created it for man so that man could rest. He put something in place and said, you all need a time to rest. And we do. And that's where we gain balance in our life. It's when we rest. As a matter of fact, sometimes when you're resting, that's when you can hear God most clearly. It's when you're just resting. Resting. So balance. Just know that when you go to work tomorrow, there are people who are out of balance in their life. They're exhausted. And so have a little, have a little compassion on them. Have a little mercy on them. Maybe see if you can help them in their life to find more balance. The third thing is the cry for connection. We all have a cry to connect to something. She looked at the man. She said, why are you, why are you talking to me? Why, why are you risking this? This is, this is not normal. Why, why are we making this connection? But there was something about Jesus that made her want to connect to him. And that's still true today. There's something about Jesus right now that makes us want to connect to him, to talk to him, to pray to him. You know, I, don't, I don't know how you pray. We all pray differently, and that's, and that's great. There's no one pattern. But I'm just sitting there talking to God like I would talk to you. Or you, or you, or you. I just start having a conversation with him, just talking. Because I know there's a connection there. I know he's listening. I don't always hear back from him like I wish I did. I guess like we all wish we did. But I know he's listening. I know that when I talk to God, he, he puts the iPhone down. He puts the iPad down. He squares up and he looks me in the eye and says, what's going on, Jim? And I can just talk to him as long as I want to. And he doesn't look away. He's not frustrated. He's not looking over to see what Gabriel's doing. and He's not looking over the shoulder to see, you know, what Michael's doing. And he's just right there. He's right there. That's the God I, I talk to. He's just there. Connection. We all have a we all have a drive for connection. And kids, when you go to school, teenagers, when you go to school, you need to know your friends are looking for a connection. Also, there are a lot of lot of lonely teenagers at school. A lot of lonely middle schoolers at school and elementary kids. They're lonely. They're looking for a connection. According to one website, eleven hundred students a day attempt suicide. That's 1,100 across America a day, a tent. A lot of it's just a cry for connection, a cry for somebody to, to notice me. I'm here. Can't you see me? I want to connect. Some of them really mean it. That's a staggering statistic for us in America today to know that. Everybody's looking for a connection. She was looking for a connection. She had five husbands that she tried to connect with. But something was wrong with her or them or the environment. Something was wrong. It just didn't work. We don't know what it was. She tried five times. It was on her sixth attempt at making a, a connection. Somebody you know is looking for a connection. So, listen, you can't connect with everybody in the world. Seven billion people. None of us can do that. But find somebody that you can. And find somebody else that is looking for a connection and try to connect with them on some level. The fourth thing <clears throat> is the word deliverance. Deliverance. The cry for deliverance. 
When Jesus started talking about living water, this woman was like, Lord Jesus, I need that. Can I have that? Would you please deliver me from coming to this well every day at 100 degree temperature, a 100 foot well, and taking water in a bucket or a bag or something back up to my house? Can you please deliver me from this? Now, why does she have to walk a half a mile to the well when she had one in her town? I told you I'd come back to it. It's because the women in town had ostracized her because she was a woman of ill repute. She'd been through all these husbands. The man she was living with, was not, she was not married to. <clears throat> it was a live-in situation. And so the other women said, don't come to my well. And so when she came to the well in her town, all people gossiped about her, pointed their finger at her, and called her names. She had to go all the way out of town, a half a mile, to find water. And she was like, I need to be delivered from this tyranny in my life. I need to be delivered from this being ostracized in my life. And I need deliverance from that. Give me that water. Give me that water. I think all of us have those times in our lives when we just cry out, give me that water. I'm so tired of this part of my life. I'm just so tired of going through the thing over and over and over again. You know, we wake up in that same old bed. <laughs> we, we walk across that same old floor. <clears throat> Go to that same old bathroom, look in that same old mirror at that same old person every morning. Put on those same old clothes. Eat that same old cereal. Shredded wheat if you know it's good for you. With some blueberries in it. No sugar added. Look in that same old car, or drive down that same old road, that same old job, look at those same old people, do that same old work, come back home that same old way. <clears throat> and we repeat the next day. Sometimes we just get tired of it, don't we? If we're honest. Jesus calls us to more. He says, try the living water. Try the living water. Even if you're going that same route every day, doing those same things every day, with living water, it'll be different. It can be different if you choose for it to be. Let the living word of the Holy Spirit come in and show you something different today that you didn't know yesterday. That'll make it all better. Make it all different. Make it worthwhile. The cry for deliverance. We all have a cry for deliverance. And everybody you meet is crying for deliverance from something in their life. You know, 40% of students today are growing up without a father in the home. And they long for a father. They're crying for deliverance. I, I, need, I need a dad. I need a man in my life. I need a man in my life. I need somebody to show me the way. Jerome, they need somebody to show them the way when you show up at school. You're a man. You're a big man. You're responsible for all these kids. They need that. I'm so thankful you're there for them. So thankful. Kids need a man in their life to show them the way, to show them a better way. And Jesus looked at her and said, when she cried for deliverance, she said, he said, I'm he. I am. I'm what you're looking for. The fifth thing is the cry for experience. The cry for experience. Everybody has a cry for experience. And that's different for all of us. If you don't believe we have a cry for experience, count the number of reality TV shows on air right now. Hundreds. They just keep dreaming up stuff. I mean, the, the latest one I saw, I think, was something about bad preachers. <laughs> really, it's bad preachers. Let's go find some bad preachers, right? 
Why do people spend so much time on Facebook? It's an alternate reality for them. They're looking for an experience. Even though, check this out, even though the people that have invented these devices won't let their kids stay on devices more than an hour a day because they know the harm that it's doing to them. Read that sometimes. Google that sometimes. And you'll see study after study is proving that spending time on a device is destroying our kids' brains. And check this out, not just our kids, but adults. There's the reason we have such a rise in depression and suicide today across the board, according to things I'm reading, is because people are stuck in Facebook and they begin comparing other people's lives in Facebook to their own lives and realize I don't have what they have, therefore I must not be enough. Therefore, I need to end this. Facebook is devastating if you look at it that way. If you spend hours on Facebook and all these other social media platforms, it's doing something to you. Read the studies. Don't take my word for it. Read the studies. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for your kids to be playing video games six and eight hours a day. It's, it's doing the same thing that cocaine or heroin does to the brain. I'm going to say that again. It's doing the same thing to your child's brain that cocaine and heroin do. Look it up. They've done research on the brain, and the areas of the brain lights up. Right? It lights up when it's active. And the same areas of the brain light up under a video game that light up under heroin and cocaine. Do your research. Look it up, parents. It's not safe. It's deadly. We all crave experiences. You're not going to find the experience. You're not going to be fulfilled in the experience you're looking for on the Internet. It's not going to happen. Okay? Get out and mix and mingle with people. Take up a sport. Learn to play an instrument. Hang out with other folks. Have human interaction. We were never designed to have human interaction over a device. It was always supposed to be face-to-face. -face. Always. That's our original design. All the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve didn't have a palm pilot. Okay? Some of you don't even know what that is. Adam and Eve didn't have a blackberry. They had blackberry bushes. Right? That they ate from. And it was healthy for them. Experience. The sixth thing is the cry for freedom. The cry for freedom. <clears throat> we read in the rest of the story where she went back to her home, her town, half a mile away, and she said, I just met a man who told me everything I've ever done. Well, you got five men she was married to, right, who were now divorced, listening to her say, he told me everything I've ever done. She's got her boyfriend that she's living with. Tell me everything I've ever done. Those six men are going, huh, what? What are you talking about? Everybody was listening to her at that point. We know you. We know you're a woman of ill repute, and you've met a prophet who's told you everything you've ever done. Yes, he did. And he set me free. He gave me living water. She was so excited. We don't have all the dialogue here. We only have just a small portion of the dialogue. But she was so excited. She said, he set me free. He set me free. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is bondage, right? Isn't that what it says? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom right? She had found freedom. She had found freedom. John 8, verses 32 says, If you know the truth, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. free. It is for freedom we have been set free, right? 
If the sun sets you free, you shall be some kind of free every now and then. Isn't that what it says? That's how we live, right? If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed, right? John 8, verse 36. Freedom. She found freedom. And so all of a sudden, the townspeople said, we've got to go meet this guy. Well, the disciples had come back. They were having a lunch there. I don't know. Maybe they were having Chick-fil-A or something. Who knows? But they were sitting by the well having lunch. And all the town came out to meet this guy called Jesus. And the Bible says they met him and they believed in him. And it says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. That was, her test that was her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. That was just her testimony. A testimony doesn't have to be long. Certainly not long as this sermon is. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. He stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more came, uh, became believers. They said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She found freedom. <clears throat> Everybody you know is looking for freedom. Our founding fathers who started this great nation over 200 years ago put freedom as the number one thing. That was the heart of why this great nation was started was freedom. It was freedom. Why? Because they realized in the Bible that's why Jesus came was to set us free. And they realized it's one of the most important things we can ever have is freedom. Jesus offers you freedom today from whatever it is that has a grip on you just like he did this woman. So if you feel bound by chains or ropes or whatever it is, Jesus wants to set you free this morning. The last thing, the seventh thing. <clears throat> the seventh thing that we all are looking for that everybody you knows looking for is guidance. 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 We all want guidance. <clears throat> guidance. Except men who are looking for directions, they never ask directions, right? <laughs> right? Amen or old me? Yeah. But we're all looking for guidance. We're all looking for somebody out there to show us the next step, the next stage, the next process. Sometimes we ask for it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we stumble into it. Because we don't ask. But I'm here to tell you, there are people all around the world, all around the country, all around the city, in this building. If you need guidance, you can ask for it. And not only that, there are people who need your guidance. You're smart people. All of you are very smart people. Very smart people. So much wealth of knowledge in this room. There is somebody that needs your help. There's somebody you can offer guidance to. And so everybody you meet is looking for guidance. Now, that doesn't mean you just walk up and start telling people what you think they ought to do. But listen with your ears when they talk to you. Find out what it is they're looking for. And then guide them in that direction. When I was uh, <clears throat> nine or ten years old, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> my, uh, <clears throat> my mom introduced me. Excuse me. Mom introduced me to uh, radio, a little crystal radio. And <clears throat> you had to build the kit yourself, and you ran a wire outside to a ground. <clears throat> you put an antenna to it, and there was a little crystal piece of metal that you touched with a, with a wire, and you had headphones, and you could listen to radio. 
And I used to tune in and listen to a fellow called Earl Nightingale. Anybody remember that name, Earl Nightingale? He's probably one of the first uh, <clears throat> speakers who was uh, like a public speaker who did. Uh, thank you so much for that cup of water. In the name of Jesus, I received that. Probably one of the first motivational speakers. Anyway, one of his, <clears throat> his main point every time he talked was, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll always have what you want. And the idea was just help people. Just help people. Whatever they want, help them find what they want. You'll always have what you want. And he was saying your, your heart is in the right place if you're helping other people. And you'll always be blessed. I've tried to live by that since I was 10 years old. And that's what I'm talking about when I say guidance. Listen to what people are saying. And if, if they're looking for this or they want that or trying to understand this, just give them a little guidance. Just help them along the way. You'll always have what you need. We often think if I'm giving stuff away, giving information away, and that, that we're losing. But we're not losing. We're investing. We're always investing. And the Bible says we reap what we sow. We reap later than we sow. And we reap more than we sow. Right? And we reap in seasons. So what you planted 20 years ago, you might not reap you know, until this year. And we sow different crops in different people's lives. And we reap those at different times. And it takes longer for cotton to come up and soybean. It takes longer for this than that. Just keep sowing. Just keep guiding people to Jesus. Keep guiding people to truth and understanding. So there you have it. That's the seven cries that I think everybody has in their heart. Whether it's children, right, parents, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's in the workplace. Let's just be very practical when we go to work and realize that everybody's in a different spot. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs us to let Jesus out of us, out of the box, if you will, to let Jesus be revealed through us to other people. That's what the world needs. And that's what will make a difference. Here's a question for you. How many people have believed in Jesus or thought about Jesus or heard about Jesus because of your testimony? Right? That's the question every day. Father, have I been a testimony to you have I told somebody about you today? Whether I did it with words or whether I did it with actions. Have I done it? This woman went right back to town and told everybody what Jesus had said to her. Let's be the same way. Let's tell everybody about Jesus. And let him make a difference in their lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this story. and Thank you that it reveals your heart. Father, it reveals your heart. Jesus was a, the exact representation of the Father. And so, Jesus, you've revealed the Father's heart to us in this story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We can all go out of here knowing that you treat us the same way. You look in our heart. You love us. You care for us. You want the best for us. And you give us the guidance we need to find it. So, thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that is without Christ, that today will be the day they trust in you. Today will be the day they say yes to Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe. And may living waters flow from within them this morning.
Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for coming back to life and for living in us. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.